Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This time we are doing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show that was first broadcast on the 10th of April in 2017. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Welcome to a beautiful spring day in Missouri. I mean to tell you, it is gorgeous outside. Chester is trying to get us to move the show out of doors, but it's just not practical. It's just not practical, Chester. We can't, we can't drag the mics and the soundboard and, and everything outside. We can open the window, sure. It is really gorgeous. I mean, everything's in full bloom. The trees are all blossomed out. The grass is as green as you'll ever want to see it. Like I said, it's 81 degrees. The air is crystal clear. And it is springtime. There's a few wasps out there and one or two bumblebee bees. And uh, you kind of have to watch for those. All of a sudden, we're going to notice ants coming in the house and mosquitoes starting to make their presence known. But that's still hopefully a little ways off. In the meantime, let's just really enjoy this spring weather. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is kind of a, a momentous uh, occasion tonight because this is one of the first uh, episodes we're going to do of Boomer Boulevard. It's actually episode number 92, I think it is. We've been doing the show for a couple of years now. But this is uh, all going on to a podcast. And many of you that are listening tonight are probably listening on the podcast for one of the first times. So we welcome you along. Welcome you along. What we do on this show is we play Baby Boomer Memories. We do that, first of all, by playing a number of old-time radio shows we actually remember from when we were kids. Shows from the very late 40s, but most of them from the 1950s. And many of these we remember from their later television incarnations. Shows like Gunsmoke and Dragnet and Armis Brooks and Ozzy and Harriet, all of these shows that we used to watch when we were uh, kids on TV or, in many cases, listen to them on the radio. Tonight we have a great lineup. We have an Adventures of Philip Marlowe. We have uh, an episode of The Jack Benny Show, very funny. One of these uh, with uh, Ronald Coleman and Benita Hume. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And we're going to finish things up on the streets of Dodge City with a radio episode of Gunsmoke. 
So that's our lineup. We're also going to play some uh, music along the way and uh, try to strike up some memories with some of the songs that we choose. So pull up a seat, make yourself comfortable. We're so happy you came along, and we're going to get started in just a minute. So glad to have you along. Uh, this is kind of a special occasion for me this week. This is show number 92. I started doing this show on Yesterday USA, and now it plays on a number of other venues as well. But uh, I started that about two to three years ago. And before that, I did uh, a, a couple of old-time radio shows, uh, both on Yesterday USA and, and uh, well, a, n- a number of venues. They've been played around the country, around the world. But... This is the first time, starting this week, that the show has been available on podcast. And all 91, or now 92, of our shows that we've done for Yesterday USA in the last two to three years are available on the podcast. And you can go into iTunes and listen to them, or you can go into TuneIn Radio or Stitcher, or I think there's just almost any place you get your podcast. You can go in and search for Boomer Boulevard. And uh, we're listed under old-time radio, and I, I hope you do. And more than that, I hope that you ask other people or tell other people about the show if you enjoy it and listen to it. And we'll just be so delighted if you would leave a comment and give the show a rating. Whatever, whatever you could do, we would certainly appreciate it to promote the show. We're going to be doing some promotion ourselves. All right, we're going to start things off this week with a little piece that we always call Radio Noir. This is when we go back to the vault and take out one of those great detective shows or police shows from the 50s that were produced uh, much like the movies were back then in what we like to call Radio Noir. start things off tonight with an episode of Philip Marlowe, who was a fictional character. Obviously, he wasn't a real detective. He was a creation of the author Raymond Chandler. 
But you know what's interesting? The name Philip Marlowe first appeared in the book The Big Sleep, which wasn't published until 1939. But Chandler had written many earlier short stories that had been uh, published in pulp magazines like Black Mask, Dime Detective. And these stories featured characters that were very similar to Philip Marlowe. And later, some of them were combined and expanded into novels featuring Marlowe. This was a process that Chandler referred to as cannibalizing. When his first stories were republished years later in a short story collection called The Simple Art of Murder, that's when Chandler changed the names of the protagonists to Philip Marlowe. Chandler's first full-length book, The Big Sleep, wasn't published until Chandler was 51 years old. His last book, which was titled Playback, was published when Chandler was 70. There were in all seven novels produced in the last two decades of Raymond Chandler's life, and there was also an eighth novel that was uh, completed after his death by Robert B. Parker, who, by the way, we lost earlier this year. But it wasn't published until years later. Well, what we're going to listen to tonight is uh, an episode that originally aired on CBS back on September the 15th, 1950. It features Gerald Moore as Philip Marlowe. This is produced and directed by Norm MacDonald, who, of course, uh, did many shows for CBS, including Gunsmoke, and we're going to be hearing uh, about Norm MacDonald a little later on in the show. And This one also features some of the uh, most popular Hollywood cast of the era, Wally Mayer, Bill Johnstone, David Ellis, Lawrence Dopkin, Luke Krugman, Dora Singleton, and Michael Ann Barreth. So here it comes from September the 15th, 1950. This is The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. The name of this episode is Final Payment. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison, or the grave. There's no other end. But they never learn. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Final Payment. I'm Philip Marlowe. Warden Riker said he'd see me at noon. Oh, yes, Mr. Marlowe. The warden will be with you in just a minute. Excuse me, please. Uh, Warden's office, Sergeant Kennedy speaking. Who? Oh, the L.A. Tribune. Yeah, yeah. Scenario's execution? Okay, hold on. I got the dope here on my desk someplace. Excuse me, Mr. Marlowe. It'll be just a minute. It's all right. Press get hungry for the gory details about now. This is the third call this morning. Mm-hmm. Have a seat there. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, here it is. Office of the Warden, State Penitentiary, 10 a.m., September 8, 1950. Subject, press release, paragraph one. William Arthur Sanero, 24, tried and convicted of the robbery murder of Emil Negrotto, 
Bakers Beach, California, last August 5, is scheduled to be executed in a manner prescribed by law at 11 o'clock post-meridian this state. At this time, no stay of execution is anticipated. Signed, Stanley M. Riker, Warden. That's it. Huh? No, you can't talk to the warden. That's why we go through all this press release junk. Yeah, well, we got our problems, too, you know. Goodbye. Sorry, Mr. Marlowe. <clears throat> now, uh, your appointment with the warden. Uh, what was it about again? William Arthur Cenero, 24. I'm a friend of his. Oh. Oh, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> I, I forgot, mm -hmm. sir. Uh, or I hope I haven't offended Mr. Marlowe. That is, uh... <clears throat> I'll tell the warden you're here, sir. I knew I didn't have too much right to be mad at one Sergeant Kennedy. But today it didn't matter. Because I was mad at the whole world, and in particular what it had done to a used-to-be nice kid named Billy Cenero. And when I stood in Warden Riker's far-from-drab prison office and waited while a dapper man in gleaming Hickok cufflinks and soft gray gabardine got through talking to his wife in syrup-sticky tones, I began to get mad at him, too. That drained out of me fast because when he hung up, he scraped the goo off his voice quickly. Shook hands like he meant it and told Kennedy we weren't to be disturbed. When he spoke of Cenero, a lot of sympathy crawled in between the words. Even when he came to the point. It's a breach of regulations for a condemned man to have any visitor other than the prison chaplain on the day of his execution, Mr. Marlowe. So first of all, just how well do you know Cenero? Well, he sold papers on the corner near my office as a kid... We swapped gags twice a day. And when his father died and he quit selling papers? I never saw him again until a year ago when he got over-involved with some tin-horn gamblers. I managed to set him free. As a private detective? As a big brother. Went to work in a San Pedro boatyard after that. I haven't seen him since. And then you have no idea why he's asked to talk to you today? No, I don't. Do you, Warden? Mr. Marlowe, do you recall the details in this case? Well, yeah, more or less... Let's see, an old man named Emil Negrato and his wife were robbed of 100,000 bucks worth of uninsured jewels at their summer place at... Um... Baker's Beach. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And uh, Emil Negrato was killed when he tried to interfere. Cenero was tied back to it by a single fingerprint and later identified by Mrs. Negrato. I, I believe she thought there were two more, huh? Yes, but Cenero denied this. Uh -huh. Also, Mr. Marlowe, you may recall that the jewels were never recovered. Mm -hmm. Cenero said they were lost at sea when the boat he fled in hit rough water on the way back to San Pedro. Now, Mr. Marlowe, do I begin to answer the question I just ignored? The jewels, I mean? Cenero may want to tell you that they weren't lost after all. He may want to tell you where they are. He may want you to do something about them. Sort of last will and testament, is that it? From his point of view, yes. And from mine? A very lucrative offer. Perhaps 50%, Mr. Marlowe. Why not 100%, Mr. Warden? Don't be a piker. I could always cross him up, you know. Now, anything else? Or were you just letting me know why the state is allowing this visit? I was just letting you know what the state knows, Mr. Marlowe. Uh-huh. I know a little more. I know that Billy Cenero is through as a criminal. In his heart. Not just because he's behind bars with worse to come. He's ready to die, Mr. Marlowe. Almost anxious. Well, then why the session? Why all the statistics? Why the invitation for me to play informer? For two reasons. First, I may be wrong about the boy completely. Thus, his repentance is a fake. Which you don't believe. No. What's the other reason? Look, Marlowe, if anything goes wrong, you came in here as an informer. That's official. And unofficially? I want to give the boy a break. Cenero asked to get you because he wanted to talk to the only person in the world he thought he could trust. 
And right now, I think he has every right to just such a talk, whatever it's about. I only wanted to be sure he talked to the correct party, that's all. Sergeant Kennedy to show you the way, Mr. Marlowe, to Sonaro's cell. I was a bit confused. For I could see Max just to help Sonaro over some rough hours, and yet at the same time he was shrewd. In no time he'd work me around to where I'd be the fastest, most courteous informer on record if Sonaro was a fake. I thought. But I thought otherwise when I was alone with Sonaro. I knew that the Negrotto jewels did still exist. Mr. Marlowe, why are you looking at me that way? Don't you understand what I'm asking, don't you see? Now, wait a minute, take it easy, Billy, a step at a time. Now, you say that the jewels never went overboard. No, huh? I never even saw them. That was a cock and bull story. Uh-huh. And yet you want me to get them, to get the jewels and return them to Mrs. Emil Negrotto, is that right? Right. To Mrs. Negrotto, the woman who identified me. The widow of the man I killed. Look, Mr. Marlowe, sit down here on the cot and listen. Okay. Now, where's the beginning, Billy? Last August 5th, it was me and the other two, a big red-headed louse named Jesse Tapp and a girl named Gloria, Gloria Konkowski, a blonde with a little scar on the bridge of her nose. Mm-hmm. Jesse's girl, strictly flashy. We took my boat. It's a fishing smack, the love lady. We, we sailed from San Pedro over to Baker's Beach. I was the one who shot him, Mr. Marlowe. And the jewels? They were in a leather bag. Jesse had them. But after the shot, we split up fast and ran. I hid until the next morning, then shoved off in the love lady... I don't know about the others. I was picked up that afternoon. The rest you know. I'm not so sure. At your trial, you swore that... But I was alone and the jewels went overboard. Well, at first I thought that I might get off, so I had to clam up, but then I... Then everything changed. The verdict, huh? No. An old woman whose husband I killed. Hmm. See what you mean. But you still didn't tell the authorities who the others were. No, and I won't today. Both Jesse Tapp and that blonde can smell a cop a mile away. They'd only run and take the jewels with them. The Lord louse it up. I want the jewels back to the little old lady. Hmm. I always liked you, Billy. I know how you work, Mr. Marlowe. I've got enough for you to start on. It only came yesterday. That's why this, uh, this last-minute rush, you might say. Mr. Marlowe, I know where Jesse Tapp is. That also means glory isn't far away. From where? San Pedro, down near the docks. Now, look. There's a tough old guy who runs a dry dock and repair lash up for small boats. Name of Jomo. I worked for him a year ago. I also left him the love lady. He spotted Tap. Had his eyes open for months for me. No questions asked. He was here to see me yesterday. He's out to find where Tap hangs out now. He's the one you see. Yeah, but wait a minute. What makes you think Jesse Tap still has the jewel? Because I saw him take him and run, and he's still hanging around San Pedro. Maybe he hit him where he can't get to, or maybe he doesn't want to get to him until he's contacted the right fence. Anyway, Mr. Mallow, it's a chance I'd like you to take for me. Of course, I... I can't talk about your fee. Look, kid, don't you think we ought to talk to the warden? Mr. Marlowe, I've done nothing but think. This is the only way it can possibly work. The only way it can help me and Mrs. Negrato both. Well, will you try it? Yeah. I guess so, Billy. One last thing, Mr. Marlowe. If you make it by... before 11 tonight... Get the word to me, will you? And if you don't make it, or it looks like you're not going to, don't lie. Okay? Okay. Time's up, Mr. Marlowe. Sorry, Snarrow. It's all right, Kennedy. Don't mention it. So long, Mr. Marlowe. Goodbye, Billy. (laughs) 
It took five minutes for me to walk back to the warden's office and five more to lie to him about what Sonero had wanted of me. And another ten to get outside and head toward my parked car. I was thinking about what the condemned man had told me when I suddenly realized I was in the middle of a busy street and right smack in the path of a speeding car. Hey, what's the matter with you? What is that? Mister, mister, you all right? Holy You okay, smoke. huh? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. Much obliged. I'll try to remember to look where I'm going next time. Yeah, these jerks figure every street's in Indianapolis Speedway. Yeah. And another thing, that geezer didn't stop either. I know. But if you're interested, I, I got a squint on him before. I was in that corner drugstore after a Coke, and while I was waiting, I happened to see this guy stand outside his car, and all of a sudden he got wait in a minute, and wait took a off. You mean he got all that speed up just from the end of the street? Tell me, friend, what do he look like? He's uh, tiny. <laughs> tiny like your pinky finger. Uh-huh. And elevating shoes on. Plus the fact he needed a shave. Say, you don't think it was purposeful, do you? Uh, n- not an accident, I mean. I don't know. But either way, I'm much obliged to you, friend. Bye-bye. I made a mental note about the small man with big heels and a beard and let it go at that. And I took one last look at the prison. Made me want to drive the 300 miles to San Pedro fast. It was some hazy place between late twilight and early evening fog when I located Jomo in his water's edge dry dock and repair shop and told him who I was. I was fond of that scenario, lad, Marlai. I'm glad I can help him some way. That boat here was his, you know, the love lady. Mm-hmm. Putting her back in the water tonight. Ah. Love lady. That might be what he needed to keep him out of trouble at that. It's hard to say, Jomo. Mm. But look, I don't have much time. Do you know where I can get next to this um, Jesse Tapp? Aye. I followed him just this morning from a bar on 3rd Street. He's uh-huh. hiding out in a warehouse on Lookout Hill Road. It's shut down now. It won't open up again until... Hold it, Jomo. That noise, it came from out here. There's someone there, Mr. Marlowe? Oh. No, not anymore, there isn't. Uh, and there probably wasn't. I got me a clumsy little cat, Marlowe, always falling over. Jomo, you said Lookout Hill Road, right? Aye. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's only a block long, the highest point in town. Mm. You just head straight up King Street to the top. You can't miss the warehouse. Thanks. Uh, Jomo. Uh, you have no idea what this is all about, huh? Well, <laughs> I wouldn't say that, Marlowe. But you see, I don't let myself think of some things too much. I keep my mind on boats more than people. Easier to understand. (laughs) Easier to repair, too. Good luck, Milo. I was less than ten minutes finding the deserted warehouse which ran true to form. Rust and every other window broken. When I was out of my car and moving around toward a side entrance, I saw something else. It was a girl, tall and blonde, standing in the deep shadow of a fit shampoo billboard. When I started for her, she threw one scared look my way, then scrambled into her pocket for a key. I made it just as she got it out and into the door lock. Let's not be hasty, honey. Get your dirty mitts off. When you stop kicking, I will. Not before, sweetheart. Uh, not before, Gloria. How do you know the name, Brad? Ah, uh, that cute little scar on the bridge of your nose. You should have ducked, kid. Not that it doesn't add character. Ah, go soak your head. I don't know you. You should. Jesse does. Jess? Who are you, anyway? Name's Marlowe. Here to see your boyfriend tap her schedule. It's a business appointment, Gloria. Business? Oh. Oh, yeah, sure. Fence, huh? Yeah, fence, huh? 
Now do we go up or throw pebbles at the window until Jesse comes out, which? We go up, now that I know who you are. You know, Jesse didn't mention you're coming. That's what I like about working with Jesse. Uh, which way? Up these stairs. Mm-hmm. Kind of nice setup we got here, huh? Yeah, yeah. Sweet of the owners to let you have a key. Well, it wasn't exactly that way. Jesse had... Changed to... the lock, yeah, I know. Uh, is that the door? One mark, President? Uh-huh. Mr. Taft's very own. <laughs> Imagine Jesse is an executive. Funny, huh? Hey, Mr. Head of the Firm, you got callers. Jesse! Ah, that jerk's probably asleep. <laughs> the way I figured, asleep in a swivel chair. Hey, Mr. President, you got company. Hey, Jesse, come on, wake up. It's a guy here who wants... What's wrong with him? So much to fix, honey. Head of the firm, Jesse's been shot to death. No business as usual today. Dead. How do you like that? Not much. Now, maybe it's you I do business with, huh? What are you talking about? Now, look, I never like to get into money matters with dames, but now I'm stuck. So let's get to work, you and me. Where are they, Gloria? Where are what? Come on, you coy oh. little jerk. The stones and the grotto stones. I want to see them. I don't know where they are. He wouldn't ever tell me. Ah, don't lie. You were his girl. Listen, mister. Ever since I met that guy, I've been living on double talk and slaps in the mouth. I spent my nights dodging my own shadow. I'm glad it's over. Well, why'd you stick? Because of them stones. I knew I had him hid someplace. I figured maybe they'd get us away from here after all. He kept saying he had to wait till the time was right. That's all he'd ever say. Even to me, his girl. You know, with that talent, you ought to be in pictures, kid. Yeah. Believe me, mister, I learned the hard way not to try to pin Jesse Tapp down. You do whatever you want, I'm getting out of here. Before the act. Just a minute. What? Somebody did this, baby. I can name 20 who'd been tickled pink. Yeah, but I took a lot of chances setting up this deal to move on the grotto jewels. I wouldn't want to be edged out now by cheap competition like a squirt and build up heels. What's that? Nothing, a swing in the dark. Excuse me. Sure. Now you excuse me. He's strictly your problem, sucker. I stood and watched her as she walked away. I didn't know just what my next move should be, but then it hit me. Whoever had killed Jesse Tapp would go for her next. So when she hailed a cab at the foot of the hill, I ran to my car and I started after her. But by the time I got turned around, a switch engine playing shuffleboard with a string of boxcars cut in between us. When that was over, Gloria was gone. I spent the next hour and a half raking the neon-lighted muck along the docks looking for her with no success. Until finally in a rancid backwash called the reef, I got a break, but from another direction. The same unshaven little man with high heels who tried earlier to run me down was at the bar, blinking back the sting of a straight shot. I watched while I picked up a handful of small change from the bartender, and when he pranced toward a phone in the hallway at the rear, I followed him. It was too good to be a coincidence. Yeah, he had that's to tie in. San Diego. Yeah, Christine Fuller, right. How much? Okay. Hello? Hello, Christine? Hiya, baby. This is Fritz. Hey, listen, honey, I got it all set up. Yeah, I'm going right now, right away, yeah. It's dark now and everything's ready. I said everything, didn't I? I'll have them in an hour and be out of here. Hmm? Well, just be a good girl till I get there, understand? Yeah, I'll see you before morning. Oh, your little Fritz wouldn't let you down, you know that. 
about, baby? Hello, little Fritz. <laughs> you come back here. Hey, what is this? Who are you? Guy you tried to run over this afternoon. Hey, now listen, Slim. There must be some mistake there here. There isn't. You just made it when you knocked off Jesse Tapp. And now that I got you, little Fritz, I'm going to shake you up and down until a lot of answers or a lot of teeth start dropping out of you. No, no, no. Make up your mind. What's it going to be? Come on. No, 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 leave me alone. Stop. What's going on here? Run along, Buster. It's private. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Right, big lug like you picking on a little guy like him, you'll be ashamed. Hey, don't you believe in the brotherhood of man? Yeah, but this weasel don't qualify. He now, blow. He me, fellas. He was going to rob me. Oh, he was, was he? Put him down yeah, here. Come on, come on. Turn loose something, big bully. Okay, you jerk. Come on, get up. Get him, Joe. Come on, Joe. Oh, him on Come on, get up! Oh, nuts, he's all cold. Let's throw him out in the alley. Come on, good idea. Hey, where'd the little guy go? Hey, he bait it. Oh, you'd think he'd stick around long enough to buy us a drink, wouldn't you? Judging from the way my face felt, the two long showmen must have... Oh, had barnacles on their fists. In the five minutes it took me to climb back on my feet, I thought some very unpleasant things about the Brotherhood of Man, both fore and aft. But I dropped him when I re- remembered the time was running out fast for my client. And I still hadn't got beyond the loose ends I'd started with. Tap's girlfriend, Gloria, and little Fritz. It was a hunch that took me up the hill of the old retired warehouse again. I parked a block away and started toward it on foot when the glow from a lonely cigarette said that it wasn't quite as deserted as it should have been. The cigarette belonged to a woman who was someplace under a lot of makeup. Oh, interesting evening. You asking me or telling me? Well, either it is, it has been, or it could be. Take your pick. You look like a bright boy. Hey. Hey, you look like you fell into a meat grinder. No, no, just a philosophical discussion. Oh? Nice view from here. Not too bad girl like me needs a view once in a while. Keeps the past from crowding the future. And see the whole waterfront from here without smelling it. Yeah, yeah. That's great, huh? Now, look, you haven't seen anybody hanging around here in the last few minutes, have you? You kidding? Nobody hangs around this old dump. It's the first time I've been up here in a month. Nobody's hung around here since... since old Tom died. He used to be the night watchman. Now, there was a lot of last for you, old Tom. He had that upstairs room, that one, that one up there. Mm-hmm. And he's the time I've... Hey. Hey, that's queer. That's real queer. Look. What? Hey. Oh, a telescope. Mounted on the windowsill. Yeah, old Tom never had a thing like that up there. Who do you suppose put it there? I know who, honey. My question is why? A telescope. Well, it seems to be pointed down there toward the small boat anchorage. Yeah. Where a certain boat was in for paint and repairs... Tap could watch every step from here when the job was done. Holy smoke, it could be. Thanks, baby. You've been a big help. Sure. All things to all men. Have fun, Sonny. My 
client's boat was a long shot, but it was the only bet I had. And it stayed a long shot all the way down to Jomo's dock. There the odds began to drop fast to even money when I heard the motor running and found the door to Jomo's boathouse half open. It became odds on when I eased inside and stumbled over Jomo himself, stretched out unconscious on greasy planks like a beached bull whale. I stepped over him, got my thirty-eight in hand, and edged out along the catwalk to the open dock where the boat scraped restlessly against the fenders. There were no lights except for a tiny spot no bigger than the hole in the candy lifesaver that probed frantically along the seams inside the cabin. It was little Fritz with a shielded flashlight intent on finding something fast. I stepped into the boat, deliberately kicked over an oil can and crouched. The light went out. Oh, who's there? Somebody out there? Well, speak up. Throw your gun over the side and stand real still. Do it now, little man, or I'll blow you in two. Oh, no, wait. Yeah. Now, who, who are you? It's me, Fritzy Marlowe. So Tap hit the stones right here on Bilson Arrow's boat, huh? Yeah, 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 that's right. They're still here. Fortune. Hey, look, fella, if we play it smart, this should the boat. I want a few things straight first. Correct me if I'm wrong. Tap hid the jewels aboard here after the robbery without Sonero's knowledge. But after Sonero was caught, he gave the boat to Jomo, who kept it locked up inside there. Which meant the Tap had to wait until Jomo had finished his repairs before he could get back the stones again, huh? Yeah, that's right. They were too hot to handle anyway. They had to be hid someplace. Uh, they were safe here, so why stir up another fuss? Uh, what else you want to know? Are you going to explain to your little sugar in San Diego that Christine Fuller, your cooed to tonight when you don't show up for a few years? Mama, we can do business. And another but... thing. How'd you get into this act in the first place? Uh, I got ways, like a couple of friends on the inside. Ah, oh, that figures. One of them must be on the inside of the state pen. That's how come you're hooked onto me so fast with that car. Who is it? A guard named Kennedy. He's a pig, a cut-rate chum. And the other friend? He's behind you with a gun. Uh, oh, move. fine. Oh, that's my baby. I'll take your gun now, Mr. Marlowe. Oh! Stop it. Put it away, Fred. <clears throat> find the stones? Yeah, not yet, but it won't be long now, sugar. Marlowe, get in that cabin and run this boat. We're going out. Go on, move. Oh, no, wait a minute, baby. We don't know anything about boats. We're not taking any more chances here. Untie that rope at the back, Fritz. That's called cast off the stern line. Shut up! Mm. Get inside, Marlowe. Go on. Sure, sure. Well, Skipper, where to? Just head for that open part out there. Hey, it's gonna be rough. Oh, that won't matter to us, baby. We've been through plenty together, huh? Yeah, like putting Jesse Tapp out of the way for a starter. Uh, sure, well, he asked for it. He was a pushover for Gloria here. Why, you... So it was little Gloria who killed him, eh? All right, so it was me. Fritz called me up and warned me you were coming here to Pedro, and I overheard you when you talked to Jomo. I knew you'd get to Jesse and make him spill, so I killed him. It's going to have to be done sooner or later anyway. The old double cross. Yeah, the old double cross. So what? Uh, that's a game the smart ones always play with the suckers. Always win. Not always, Fritz. Oh, often enough to make a... What? Hey, 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 Gloria. Gloria, what? Oh, no, 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 don't. Gloria, no! Keep your hands on that wheel, Marlowe. I heard Marlowe's crack about that Christine Fuller, Fritz. You louse. Straight ahead, Marlowe. Now what, baby? Still got me to worry about. That's too bad. You're a nice guy. Where are we? Well, the channel's way over there where that buoy is. And that means that a big rock pile called the breakwater is right off our starboard bow. If I don't turn, we'll hit it, and I'm not turning. Right,
Feeling better now, Mr. Marlowe? Yeah, thanks, Lieutenant. That water was awful cold. You said it. Have another cup of Coast Guard mud. Do you good. Oh, thanks. Look, I was wondering if... If we located the girl you told us about? Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't as lucky as you were. However, your boat hung up on the rocks. The boys found all that jewelry in the cabin. And this leather bag here. Well, we'll be in in a couple of minutes. Good. I'll just have time to call a young guy and tell him he can close out his books. They balance now. He's paid up in full. When I got through to Warden Riker, I told him all that had happened. And gave him the message for Billy Scenario, he thanked me and said, the kid was facing 11 o'clock like someone who who had the weight of the world lifted off his back. A back that should have been part of a football team. A back that should be tanned from the sun at the beach. A back whose arms should be around a lovely girl. A back knelt in prayer for a better world. A back... Strapped to the electric chair. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Wally Mayer, Bill Johnstone, David Ellis, Tom Holland, Larry Dobkin, Doris Singleton, Lou Krugman, and Michael Ann Barrett. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time I found a corpse in a flower shop. A gypsy who read her own fortune in dollar signs in a death struggle 20 feet from a crowded merry-go-round. All because a man forgot one white carnation. This is Roy Rowan speaking. And this is CBS, where you also enjoy Junior Miss every Saturday in the daytime on the Columbia Broadcasting System. The name of that episode was The Final Payment, as heard on CBS back on September 15, 1950, on The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Raymond Chandler not only wrote novels and short stories, he was also a screenwriter. And he had an immense stylistic influence on the modern private detective story, especially in his style of writing and the attitudes of the characters. In fact, it became a whole genre. His protagonist, Philip Marlowe, and also Dashiell Hammett, who was a contemporary of his, uh, his character, Sam Spade, both of them are really synonymous with the term private detective. And interestingly enough, they were both played on the screen at one time or another by Humphrey Bogart and a whole bunch of other actors, too. <laughs> I'm a mean widow, kid. And are you pleased with yourself? Sure, because I'm a germ, a bathroom germ. Bathrooms is where the meanest germs get to live. 
Do I have fun causing odor and spreading disease? Well, you better watch out, son, or your landlady may find out about Lysol brand disinfectant. Lysol? No, Lysol. That's what I said, Lysol. Well, anyway, a lot of women are finding that a dash of Lysol in their cleaning suds every week wipes out nasty bathroom disease germs like you, disinfect from one cleaning to the next as no other product can, wipes out many deadly viruses, too. Lysol makes every cleaner work better. It's the easy, modern way to get bathrooms really clean and free of odors. Lysol can do that? Mm, And what's more, now besides regular Lysol, there's a new, sweet-smelling, pine-scented Lysol. And they're both out to get you. Hey, was you ever a mean little kid? One more remark like that, and I'll open this bottle of Lysol. Help! Okay, let's do a little music. Let's do a little music. This this is a song from 1962, and before I play this, I'm going to challenge you. And I do this from time to time. I bet you can't listen to this without moving. <laughs> I I bet you'll at least tap your foot. Chances are you'll 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 kind of get up and start dancing around, or if you're stuck in a chair, you'll you'll at least Pretend like you're dancing just in your mind. Believe me, your your shoulders are going to be going and your hands are going to be going and your arms are going to be going. There's a song from 1962 by Chris Montez. I told you you couldn't be still on that one. <laughs> that was from 1962. I was in ninth grade. When, where were you in 1962? Where were you in 62? Wasn't that the 
the tagline on American Graffiti. I remember my sister, that's the year she graduated from high school. I graduated from the ninth grade. That was junior high back then, seventh, eighth, and ninth. And they used to play that at Friday Nighters, a dance we had once a month in the gym on Friday nights. Oh, Friday Nighters. Here's another song that was popular maybe maybe a year or two later, but what, what made me think of it was the organ in that Chris Montez song sounds an awful lot like the organ in this one. Question Mark and the Mysterians. That was the name of the group that did that. Question Mark and the Mysterians. Can you, Chester liked that one. Boy, he was, he was really, really keeping time. Can you do that little tear at the end, that 96 tears? No, I can't do it either. I love that part about that song, though. Oh, it brings back some memories, doesn't it, folks? 96 tears, question mark, 
and the Mysterians. That one is a little bit more during the psychedelic time. Okay, are you ready for a little comedy? That's what I thought. Something familiar. Something familiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, tonight. <laughs> On the Comedy Corner this week, we have a very funny episode of the Jack Biddy Show. We've been trying for some time now to play all of the episodes of The Biddy Show that featured Ronald Coleman and his real-life wife, actress Benita Hume. This one goes back to November the 17th in 1946, which is just slightly back a little further than I normally like to go. It was before my lifetime, and I <laughs> therefore I don't remember anything about 1946. But I will say this, it's a very funny episode, and it features Leo Drosher along with uh, Ronald Coleman and Benita Hume. And Leo DeRocher, for those of you that don't know, was a baseball manager for years. In fact, he was the manager of the uh, Dodgers. Let me see. He was the manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers from 1939 to 1946, then again in 1948. Then he moved over to the New York Giants and was there from 1948 to 55. He took 11 years off and went to the Cubs. He was with the Cubs from 68 to 72, and I certainly remember Leo DeRocher there. And then he went to the Houston Astros from 72 to 73. He wrote a famous book called Nice Guys Finish Last, and he was a a controversial character. He was once suspended from baseball because of an argument uh, that he got in with one of the owners of the Yankees, as I recall. But a very, very colorful fellow. One of the real Hollywood connections he had is for a number of years, he was married to Lorraine Day, who was a very famous actress of the period. I think they were married from 1948 to 60, something like that. All right, here we go. This is the Jack Benny Show. This one originally was broadcast on NBC on November the 17th, 1946. The Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Well, dear, it's 2.30. I guess I better get over to the studio. All right. Goodbye, darling. And don't forget your script. Oh, I won't. Oh, by the way, Don, I meant to ask you, what happened at Jack Benny's house last Wednesday that caused so much commotion? Oh, that. (laughs) I thought you knew. Everybody's talking about it. (laughs) No, dear. Tell me what happened. (laughs) As you know, it was last Wednesday. The evening started out quietly enough. In fact, Jack had just finished having dinner.
Ah, Rochester, that certainly was a good dinner. Thanks, boss. And that first dish you brought in, that was good. Did you make it yourself? Oh, no, boss. Those were popovers from the bakery. Oh. Uh, what was on the other dish? Leftovers from Tuesday. <laughs> Wait a minute. I happen to know that last night we had lamb stew and spare ribs. And what I had tonight looked like a lamb chop. I know, boss. I took the meat out of the stew, dried it in the sun, glued it to a rib, and put a patty on it. <laughs> Gee, you sure fooled me. And, Rochester, what happened to the rest of the stew? You didn't throw it out, did you? No, sir. You know those olives you had for lunch? Yes. Those were the green peas. I pumped them up. <laughs> well, what do you know? And, Rochester, that other dish, it tasted like squash. What was it yesterday? Squash? I couldn't do a thing with it. <laughs> oh. Well, Rochester, don't buy squash anymore. It's so inflexible, well, I think I'll, um... I think I'll go in the library and relax a while. Hand me my slippers, will you, Rochester? Here you are. Thanks. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Yesterday, those were hip boots. I cut them down. <laughs> what are you going to do with the tops? I'll think of something. Yeah. Good. Now, Rochester, you better do the dishes, will you, please? I'm going to the library. On the boardwalk at Atlantic City, dum dum da dum dum. Gee, I wish they'd have bathing beauty contests for men. <laughs> nah, it's enough that I'm the star of state screen and radio. Dum 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 dum. I get it. Hiya, Jackson. Hello, Mr. Benny. Oh, hello, fellas. I've been expecting you. Come on in. Gee, rubber bedroom slippers. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we'd have been here earlier, Jackson, but we missed the first bus. Oh, oh, well, come on in. Say, Phil, did you come all the way over here on a, on a bus like that? Like what? Look. Well, how do you like that? I put on a glove that was holding a scotch and soda. <laughs> well, come on, let's go in the library. Oh, say, Dennis, I'm surprised to see you here tonight. You know, I know your mother hates me. Yeah. I can't... <laughs> I can't understand why your mother dislikes me so much. How can your family be so divided? Your father likes me, doesn't he? No. <laughs> but Dennis, when you brought your father to the broadcast, he told me that he liked me. He said I was the most wonderful guy he ever met. He said that last Sunday. Monday, they took him away. <laughs> That's a shame. I need them, too. Oh, hello, Polly. How do you like the way Daddy polished up your cage? Yes, sir. Hiya, Polly. Why don't you get somebody to send you a cracker with a file in it so you can break out of that thing? Well, don't give her any ideas. Just say hello to her. Hello, Polly. Polly, Mr. Harris said hello to you. Say hello to Mr. Harris. Polly, say hello to Mr. Harris. Hello. <laughs> Now, where'd she pick that up? I said hello to her yesterday. Oh. <laughs> now, Polly, Polly, say hello to Dennis. No, no, come on, Polly. Say hello, Dennis. Hello, Dennis. <laughs> hello, Polly. <laughs> Dennis! <laughs> Dennis, stop imitating her. Say, fellas, you know, the evening's young yet. What do we do to kill a little time? How about a game of bridge? Bridge? Yeah, yeah, we'll get out the card table. Oh, gee, fellas, we can't play. Why not? 
Well, to play bridge, you have to have four hands. I've only got two of them. Dennis. <laughs> I mean, four people. Oh. Anyway, f- anyway, fellas, we'll think of it. <laughs> I'll get it, Rochester. On the boardwalk at Atlantic City. Dum, 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 dum. Well. Hey, pardon my intrusion, Mr. Benny. Well, Mr. Kitzel, what are you doing here? Yesterday, when you had lunch at the drugstore, you left your hat on the counter. Oh, yes, yes, I did forget. How did you know it was my hat? Well, when I looked on the band, I saw the initials J.B. Oh, oh. But he said it wasn't his. Who? George Boynes. <laughs> No, 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 Mr. Kitzel, George starts with a G. He told me when he found out the hat was too small. (laughs) Well, it was nice of you to return it. Mm, Thank you. Oh, by the way, Mr. Kitzel... Oh, say, we need a fourth hand for bridge. I was wondering if you play the game. (laughs) Do I play bridge? Good. What system do you use? The best. Claudette Colbertson. Well, then come on in. Rochester, will you please bring in a card table and some cards? Yes, sir. Thanks, Rochester. All right, fellas, let's go. One no trump. Dennis, we haven't dealt the cards yet. (laughs) He has to be my partner. Go ahead, Phil, you deal. Okay. Rochester, get a little warm in here. Open the window, will you please? Republicans are still celebrating. (laughs) You better close it, Rochester. Okay, Jackson, pick up your cards. All right. Let me see. Hmm. Hmm. I bid two spades. I pass. Dennis, I bid two spades. What do you do? Which ones are spades? (laughs) The black ones. I've got two kinds of black ones. Those are spades and clubs. Now, what do you do? I pass. Dennis, you can't pass. You're my partner. Not that I've got my own show. I'm his partner yet. <laughs> I don't mean that. You're, you're my partner in the game. I bid two spades. That's a forcing bid. I'm trying to find out what you've got in your hand. I've got a seven of diamonds and nine of hearts. Not that! <laughs> Mr. Kitzel... Mr. Kitzel, look at his hand and help him. Okay. What does he do? He passes. He can't he can't pass. He's my partner. All right, he beat seven spades. Seven spades? With a ten in the middle and the ace on top. That's different. What do you do, Phil? I open for two dollars. Phil. <laughs> Phil, look, Phil, this is bridge. I don't care what it is. I got a full house of straight and a flush. <laughs> now, don't be silly. That doesn't mean anything in bridge. Oh. Phil, where are you going? I'm taking this hand over to the pool hall. It's worth a fortune over there. <laughs> now, come back here and sit down. Now, where were we? I passed. Polly, you're not even playing. Hello, Dennis. Oh, quiet. Let's get back to the game. Phil, Phil, it's your bid. Well, let's see. Um... And don't bend those cards. It's a new deck. I just got a deck of cards for my birthday. Did you, kid? Boy, when I opened them up, was I disappointed. 
Why? On the box it said bicycle. <laughs> That's the name of the cards, bicycle cards. Now, Phil... I think it's misleading. <laughs> Phil, it's your... I ought to sue him. Dan, you can't sue him. It says bicycle cards. That's what they are, bicycle cards. Now, Phil... It would be hard to shuffle bicycles. Oh, for heaven's <laughs> Phil, where are you going? I'm going to phone Alice and thank her for not having any boys. Well, I don't blame you. Now, let's get going. Rochester, will you answer that, please? Yes, sir. Phil, it's up to you now. Mr. Benny's residence, star of stage and radio. Rochester, star of screen, too. I don't want to start any argument. (laughs) Who? Oh, it's for you, Mr. Benny. Palm Springs calling. For me? Palm Springs? I wonder... Hello? Hello, Mary. Mary, why didn't you tell me you were going to Palm Springs? Where are you staying? At the Mission Inn. But the the Mission Inn is in Riverside. It's in Palm Springs? Rain that hard. Well, don't feel bad, Mary. It's been raining here, too. Yeah, water's so deep, the only one who's not afraid to go out is Gary Cooper. (laughs) He passed my house and he was alone, I think. (laughs) What? Oh, certainly, Mary, sure, I'll be glad to. Have a nice rest. Goodbye, doll. What did Mary want, Jackson? She wanted me to send her some chiswee sandwiches. (laughs) I haven't got them there, you know? Well, let's get on with the game. Hey, Jackson, we got all balled up, so I dealt a new hand. I dealt for you. Okay, now let's see... Hmm, what a hand. I pass. I pass. I pass. I bid 12 spades. <laughs> Phil, how could you get 12 spades? I'd have had the other one, too, if you'd have stayed on that phone a little longer. <laughs> Give me those cards. I'll deal them myself. Uh, would, uh, would your gentleman like a cigarette? Yeah, I'll have one. Say, Mr. Kitzel, I notice you're smoking Lucky Strikes. You bet. Yes, sir. Why, sure. It's my favorite brand. Good, good. And I'm crazy about that auctioneer. Mr. Kitzel, stop jigging. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. The back of me hand to you, Spalpini, the man after me own heart.
I made every trick that time. A grand slam. Boss, a telegram just came for you. For me? Did you give the boy a tip? Yeah. You owe me a quarter. A quarter? You mean to tell me you tipped him a quarter? I knew this would happen, so I made him give me a receipt. <laughs> Receipt, let me see it. Here it is, boss. Rochester, this is a carbon copy. I sent the original to my lawyer. <laughs> what? Hey, Jackson, why don't you just read the wire? Maybe it'll take your mind off of the two bits. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Dear Jack, arriving Los Angeles to spend week with you. Should be at your house Wednesday evening about 8. Signed, Leo DeRocha. Well, do you hear that, fellas? Leo DeRocha is going to spend a week with me and he arrives Wednesday. Hey, that's tonight. You guys are really in for a treat. No kidding. Hey, Jackson, is this the Leo DeRocha who manages the Brooklyn Dodgers? That's him. You know, I spent most of my vacation traveling with his team. My mother used to play with the Giants. <laughs> what? She had to quit when I was born. <laughs> baseball so much, it was a thrill traveling with that team. I got to like every player. Gee, I hope I live to see the day when the Brooklyn Dodgers win the World Series. You know, Jackson, at your age, that ain't a bad wish. <laughs> well, I'd still like to... Hey, be... wait a minute. Hey, what? if you're such a good friend of DeRocha, then why were you always rooting for St. Louis? That was the St. Louis Browns in the American League. In the National League, I always rooted for the Dodgers. Oh, Rochester. Yes, boss? When Mr. De- DeRocha arrives, he'll probably be hungry, so you better pick him something to eat. Okay. Uh, what have you got in the refrigerator? White enamel and ice cubes. <laughs> Rochester, I happen to know there's some hamburger in the freezing compartment. Now, get it out and make some fresh coffee, too. Yes, sir. Oh, by the way, we're all out of sugar. No sugar. Hmm. Well, Rochester, go over to the Ronald Coleman's next door and borrow some. Okay, boss. Oh, Benita, Benita. Yes, Ronnie. Who was that at the door? It was Mr. Benny's butler, Manchester. Well, <laughs> uh, what did Benny want this time? Just a cup of sugar. Never have I seen such a man. Borrow, borrow, borrow. Oh, darling, don't let it upset you. He only borrows trivial things. Trivial things? Yes. Like yesterday, he was out working on his lawn, and he came over to borrow some oil for the lawnmower. Well, did you let him have it? I thought it best to. After all, it's our lawnmower. <laughs> That man. Just listen to the things he's gotten from us since the first of the month. One cup of sugar, one can of oil, one lawnmower, one mix master, two slices of bacon, two razor blades, three onions, one brown shoelace. <laughs> one card table, two decks of cards, four bridge chairs, one Dr. Scholl's foot pad. <laughs> a monkey wrench, a screwdriver, one band-aid, small size. Two light bulbs and, uh, 
Uh, and, uh, well, I know I've forgotten several things. It's too difficult memorizing every item. Oh, why don't you write them down? He's got my fountain pen, too. <laughs> my new fountain pen, the one I just received from England. Oh, Ronnie, you mean the one that writes under T? <laughs> yes. Yes, that's the one. Now, let me see. What else did he borrow? Well, let it go. It's not important. Oh, yes, it is. I want to remember them. Now, let's see. There was an umbrella, uh, a half pound of coffee, the comic section from the Sunday Times. Uh, I never did find out whether or not Dick Tracy knocked off goggles. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'll call C. Aubrey Smith. He'll tell us what happened. <laughs> good, good. Oh, and another thing Benny borrowed. Just the other night, three Tootsie Rolls. Well, he didn't borrow them. Nita, I distinctly saw you give him those Tootsie Rolls. Well, I know, but it was Halloween, and he knocked on the door and said, Trick or treat. Yes. Imagine him rolling up his pants legs and knocking on our door and saying... Please give me some candy, some cake or some pie, and if you don't do it, I'll spit in your eyes. <laughs> yes, and then he curtsied and his toupee fell off. go to a movie tonight? Oh, I don't know. What's playing? Well, look in the paper and see. As um, the Jolson story, Margie, Nobody Lives Forever, Dark Mirror, Nanda Current. That's about all that's showing at the first-run theaters. Well, check the neighborhood theaters. Last Horizon must be playing somewhere. <laughs> more times do we have to sit through? <laughs> oh, I'll get it. Oh, hello. I'm sorry to bother you again, Miss Coleman. It's quite all right. Well, what is it, Manchester? Well, Mr. Benny wants to serve baked potatoes tonight, and he's all out of potatoes. We'll need four if you can spare them. All right, I'll get them for you. And Mr. Benny says he'll only need a half pound of butter this time. Well, all right, just wait here. Uh, oh, I say, uh, uh, Dorchester. <laughs> yes, Mr. Coleman? I'm quite curious about something. Is ours the only house in the neighborhood that Mr. Benny borrows from? Oh, no, sir. Do you know the people who live in that big house on the corner? The one with the birdhouse in the front lawn? Yes. Well, uh, well, we owe the birds a half dozen eggs. <laughs> well, tell me... Uh, as you know, Mr. Benny has borrowed so many things. Do you think he ever intends repaying us? Oh, I'm quite sure he does. You're mentioned in his will. <laughs> mentioned? In his will? Yeah, you come right after the birds. <laughs> ah, that's life for you. One day the star of Lost Horizon, the next day second billing to a sparrow. <laughs> you know, I think that... There you are, Manchester. I've got everything for you. Four potatoes, half a pound of butter, and four napkins. But I didn't ask for any napkins. I know. I thought I'd save you another trip. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mrs. Coleman. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, how long is Benny going to keep this up? When is it going to stop? 
I'm asking you, when is this going to stop? That's all I want to know. That's all I want to know! <laughs> well, I'm going to find some way to... Well, I'll get it this time. Yes? Pardon me, uh, does Jack Benny live here? I'm Leo DeRocher. Mr. Mr. Benny lives next door, the house on the left. Good night. Oh, thanks. Uh, I'll say... Say, haven't I seen you someplace before? I know the movies. You're Ronald Coleman, aren't you? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Mr. Benny's house is that one right over there. Good night. Gosh, you're wonderful in the movies. I loved you in Lost Horizon. Uh, Mr. Benny's house... It... You did? Yeah. Well... <laughs> come in, come in. <laughs> I want you to meet my wife. Thank you. Oh, Benita... Benita, come here. I want you to meet someone who, who loved me in... Uh, I mean, I want you to meet a friend of mine. Oh, yes, darling. Who is it? I'd like you to meet Mr. Leo DeRocher. You don't mean Lippy. Lippy? Yes, that's my nickname. <laughs> well, then you, then you two have met before. Oh, no, no, no. But I've read about him in the papers. I think it was in connection with the last election. He was elected mayor of Brooklyn or something. <laughs> No, no, Mrs. Coleman. I manage the Brooklyn Dodgers. Brooklyn Dodgers? Yeah, them bums. You know who them bums are, don't you? Well, we should. We live next door to one. <laughs> Ronnie. Anyway, Benita, the Brooklyn Dodgers is a baseball team. Thanks. Why, you're visiting Mr. Benny. He's an important man in baseball, too. Benny, an important man in baseball? He must be. He kept Greenberg on third for two years. <laughs> oh, no, that's just a gag. Anyway, my visit to Benny is strictly a social one. He's one of my best friends. Oh, so you're the guest they're expecting for dinner. I sure am. Look, uh, would you do us a favor, please? Uh, when they pass the butter, take it easy. It's ours. <laughs> I'll do my best, Mr. Coleman. You know, I haven't seen Benny since the baseball season ended in September. And uh, I was wondering... Excuse me for interrupting, Leo, but I just noticed you belong to the Elks, don't you? The Elks? Yes, those Elks' teeth hanging on your watch chain. No, no. These are umpires' teeth. Umpires? Oh, are umpires animals? In Brooklyn, yes. Oh, Benita, he's only joking. An umpire is an official in a baseball game. He makes the decisions and even has the power to remove a player from the game and send him to the showers. My, how sanitary. <laughs> well, I'd better be running along. I'm kind of anxious to see Jack again. Uh, before you go, Leo, I want to tell you that I felt badly when your team failed to win the pennant. Oh, well, that's baseball. You just can't figure it. One day you're great, and the next day you stink. Pardon me, Mrs. Coleman. <laughs> Quite all right. Mr. Coleman's pictures weren't all great either. Well, anyway, I brought my team in second, and it's great to know that we still have thousands and thousands of loyal fans. Ah, you certainly have, Leo. Well, I'd better be running along. I know Benny's waiting for me. You know, it's rather strange. If you and Benny are such great friends, then why was he so anxious for St. Louis to win the pennant? St. Louis? Yes. I remember he used to sit by the radio and cheer every time St. Louis got a hit. What? Let me get this straight. Did I hear you say that Benny was rooting for St. Louis? Yes. Yes, that's right. You're sure there isn't some mistake? No, no. You, you heard him, didn't you, Benita? Yes. Hmm. Well, I better run along. It was nice meeting you folks. Good night, Leo. 
Leo! Why did you do that? A fine pal you are, rooting for St. Louis. St. Louis? But, Leo, that was the St. Louis Browns in the American League. Oh, I'm so sorry, pal. Here, let me help you up. Oh, thanks. Hey, you know what, Leo? You almost had another tooth for your chain. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the majority of American hospitals now have patients waiting to be admitted. And the situation in many areas is growing steadily worse because of insufficient nursing personnel. All young women between the ages of 17 and 35 who are high school or college graduates are urged to apply for admission in any one of the 1,300 accredited schools of nursing. Apply to the one nearest you. Thank you. What happened last Wednesday night? Yes, dear. Well, I'm glad that Mr. Benny and Mr. DeRocher made up. So am I. And you'd never know Jack had a black eye. Well, how'd he get rid of it so fast? He sent Leo over to the Coleman's to borrow a steak for it. Uh-huh. <laughs> what do you know? Well, you better run along now, dear. You'll be late for rehearsal. Goodbye, darling. Did I tell you that was a funny episode? That was a funny episode. That was the Jack Benny Show as originally broadcast on NBC back on the 17th of November in 1946. Of course, it featured Leo DeRocher, Ronald Coleman, and Benita Hume. Very, very funny. Because this goes back so far, I heard a number of things in, in this show that meant nothing to me, but they were obviously topical in 1946. I wanted to look them up. A lot of these things I remember, uh, you know, when we play episodes from the 50s, even though I was a little kid, I have a pretty good memory for trivial stuff. (laughs) I could never remember my multiplication tables or all of those things in school, but I could always remember the trivial stuff. Well, what are some of the things I'm talking about? Well, for instance, how about this, uh, this clip right here where Ronald Coleman is talking about the things that Jack has borrowed from him? Uh, and, uh, well, I know I've forgotten several things. It's too difficult memorizing every item. Oh, why don't you write them down? He's got my fountain pen, too. <laughs> my new fountain pen, the one I just received from England. Oh, Ronnie, you mean the one that writes under T? <laughs> now, I just couldn't figure out why that would be so funny, a, a pen that writes under T. Now, obviously, the T is a reference to England, where they drink a lot more tea than they do coffee, or at least they did in 1946. So I assume that there was a pen that was sold or being marketed that wrote under coffee or under water or something. I looked and looked and looked and couldn't find one. So if you know of of something that makes that joke particularly timely, uh, send me a note, would you, bob at boomerboulevard.com. I would appreciate it. Now, let's get on to the next thing. Now, let's see. There was an umbrella, uh, a half pound of coffee, the comic section from the Sunday Times. Uh, I never did find out whether or not Dick Tracy knocked off goggles. Don't worry 
worry about it. I'll go see Aubrey Smith. He'll tell us what happened. <laughs> if you're a friend of, uh, or a fan, I should say, of Dick Tracy, you know that over the years, there was a lot of different criminals. He, he stalked and chased down and arrested. And one of them in 1946 was not Goggles. I think that was uh, the English accent of Mr. Coleman that uh, mispronounced that. Either that or he had it wrong. It was actually Gargles. <laughs> Dick Tracy had a nemesis by the name of Gargles. Gargles had profited illegally by manufacturing and bottling large quantities of ineffective mouthwash. <laughs> mouthwash made of water, sugar, and a few drops of mint oil, which he and his strong-arm boys would bully druggists into purchasing as merchandise. Gargles also had the habit of constantly gargling with mouthwash, but always made a point of using a legitimate brand rather than his own worthless product. Gargles drove a glass truck, and he was finally caught in a glass store where Dick Tracy used a panel of bulletproof glass to walk toward him as he wasted all of his bullets. And then Gargles fell off a platform and was impaled and dismembered by several falling shards of broken glass <laughs> in 1946 in a comic strip. I didn't know that they did that. So anyway, he wanted to find out what happened to Gargles. But then Benita turns around and says, well, I'll call C. Aubrey Smith. Now, do you remember C. Aubrey Smith? He was a well-known character actor, a British character actor who always played like a, a, an officer in the military or perhaps a butler or a very rich man. He was a very dignified-looking man. He, he died in 1948 at the age of 85, so he was, he was already up there. He was 80, what, 84, 83 in uh, 1946, and uh, he had 113 film credits. Google him. And look up images, see Aubrey Smith, and you'll recognize him immediately. You've seen him in all of these old films. But why would Benita Hume call him to find out about what happened to Dick Tracy? I've searched everywhere. I wonder if maybe he had a program where he used to read the comics to kids. There was a number of, of uh, cities around the country where they had people that did that. But I couldn't find anything. So why see Aubrey Smith? I have no idea. I was wondering if maybe he had done one of the Dick Tracy movies back then, but I, I couldn't find it anyplace, and certainly nothing around 1946. All right, finally, Benita Hume mentions to Leo DeRocher that Jack has kept Hank Greenberg on third base for years. And Leo DeRocher says, oh, that's just a gag. And I, this was not a gag I was familiar with. I looked it up. I tried to find some information. The only thing I can, I kind of got the impression it had something to do with the World Series that year between the Chicago Cubs and the Detroit Tigers. And the Tigers ended up winning it. They scored heavily in the late innings to overcome a lead by the Cubs. I believe this was game seven. And the whole rally was started by Greenberg. On one show, apparently, he was talking to, I believe it was an agent or some manager on the phone, and the guy was being distracted by the World Series, 
and he said something about Greenberg on first, uh, on third. And then uh, later, I think that one of the telephone operators uh, said something to Benny about Greenberg on third. But I, I don't see where it was a running joke for years. Since I couldn't find anything, I went to one of the greatest authorities I could think of, and that was the Gasman brothers. And so I, I talked to Larry Gasman, and Larry couldn't remember. He said, I know I knew, knew this once, but I've lost it. And he gave me some suggestions for references, but I had to get the show in the can and get it uploaded. So I didn't have time to pursue it any further. But there again, if you know uh, what the running gag was there about why DeRocher would say, or why Benita Hume would say he left Hank Greenberg on third for three years, I think that's what she said. Please let us know. Just give me a note at bob at boomerboulevard.com. More Jack Benny show in the weeks ahead, and we still have several more that featured Ronald Coleman and Benita Hume. And when I told that song was She Cried by Jay and the Americans. And when that song first came out, I, I, I was a teenager and I remember thinking, oh, what a great song. Poignant, you know, very touching. Listening to it now, though, 
That guy singing that song was one cold, heartless, well, you know. He told her he didn't love her anymore, so she cried. Well, no kidding. And then he told her that uh, he thought that their love was dying and she thought it had just begun, but somebody else caught his eye and she cried. Well, yeah, I guess so. My goodness. Oh, well, when we're teenagers, you know, there's a lot of uh, teenage angst. That's what they call that, teenage angst. We were no different than any other generation of teenagers back there in the 50s and 60s. It was teenage angst. And that's a perfect example in that song right there. It's time for Gunsmoke, everybody. Tonight we're going to go back to October 30th, 1954. This is a John Meston script. We've talked in the past about what unique names Meston would come up with for his characters. How about this? One of the characters in the program tonight is Fly Hoyt. (laughs) What a great name, Fly Hoyt. He's portrayed by Vic Perrin. This one also has uh, Jack Crucian and James Nusser. It is entitled The Patsy. And the story is uh, about Matt's doubts of Long Branch hostess Holly Fanshawe's claim that she saw trail driver Fly Hoyt murder young Dave Thorpe. His suspicions increase further when Fly voluntarily returns to Dodge in order to clear his name. This is a good episode and a good good sound quality on this one. So here it is from October 30th, 1954, Gunsmoke, The Patsy. Around Dodge City and in the territory on west, 
There's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job that makes a man watchful and a little lonely. <laughs> This way, Dave. Follow me. You sure nobody cares, Holly? If they did, you'd fight for me, wouldn't you? Sure. Around here in the alley. Nobody will see us. Sure. Dave. Holly. You're awful pretty. Am I, Dave? All right, stay back, everybody. There's somebody laying over there, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, come on, Justin. That's Dave Thorpe, Chester. Want me to have a look around, Mr. Dillon? No, whoever did it ran down the alley into the street. He's just one of the crowd out there by now. Is Dave dead? No, he's breathing. I saw Doc in the saloon there. What's he doing? He's coming. Well, go keep that crowd back, huh? Yes, sir. Dave. All right. Hey, let me through. Dave. Hey, Dave, can you talk? Let's see. Dave Thorpe, huh? Somebody shot him, Matt. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Let me see here. Oh, yes, he got shot all right. Who did it, Matt? Well, if you can bring him to, maybe we'll find out. No, no, not this man. He's bleeding to death, Matt. There's nothing I can do to stop it. Can you tell how it happened, Doc? I mean, where the bullet went in? Oh, you don't need a doctor for that, Matt. His gun's still in his holster. Well, maybe somebody outdrew him. Oh, I didn't think about that. Uh, let me see here. It couldn't have been much of a fight, Matt. He was shot in the back. And the bullet came out right here. Uh, oh. He's bleeding. Can you get him to talk, Doc? Oh, he's too far gone, man. Well, there's nothing anybody can do for him now. That makes a man feel pretty helpless. To stand here and watch somebody bleed to death? Yeah. Probably doesn't even know who shot him. Yeah, maybe not. But he'd know who might want to. Every time there's a new moon, somebody gets murdered around here. Oh, here comes his brother. What happened, Marshal? How is he? He's unconscious, Joe. He's dying. You've done all you can for him, Doc. 
There isn't anything I can do, Joe. The bullet went, went through his lung. Marshal, I can't understand it. Who'd shoot him down like this? Well, I was hoping you might have an idea, Joe. My brother ain't got an enemy in the whole country. Never heard a man say a word against him. Thorpe? Huh? Your brother's dead. Well, it ain't right, Marshal. It just ain't right. Not Dave. Joe, listen to me. Think hard now, would you? Somebody shot him. What? Somebody was his enemy. No, nobody I know. Not unless it was some murdering riffraff just killed him to be killing. You got to find out who did it, Marshal. Well, I'd like to. You Joe. better do it. Nobody's gonna murder my brother and get by with it. It's a mighty poor thing when a decent man like Dave and gets shot down. Nobody does nothing about it. I figure to do everything I can. I don't Joe. care if you got to take Dodge City apart, Marshal. You better find that killer. <laughs> Sold out back, Mr. Jonah. Sure do wish we could fill one of them. Well, it's not likely, Chester. Not tonight, anyway. I sure didn't care much about the way Joe Thorpe was going on about you not doing nothing. What do you expect of a man? Well, he was upset about his brother, Chester. They've always been pretty close. Well, there's no cause for him talking the way he was. Oh, he'll get over it. Chester, I guess you're right. Joe'll have to run their hide-buying business all by himself now, won't he? He'll manage. He can always hire somebody to help him if he needs Yes. Well, it's Miss Kitty. <laughs> Come in, Kitty. Come in. Matt, this is Holly Fanshawe. Ah, how do you do, Holly? Marshal. And Chester Proudfoot. I'm pleased to know you, Miss Holly. Thank you, Chester. Holly's kind of new in Dodge, Matt. Yeah, I've seen her around. She was afraid to come here and talk to you alone, so I came with her. Well, there's nothing to be afraid of, Ollie. I, what's the trouble? You tell him, Kitty. I'll tell him part of it, but I want him to hear the rest from you. Well, all right. After the shooting tonight, Holly came to see me, Matt. She was pretty scared, but I told her you wouldn't let anything happen to her. I know, of course not. Well, it seems she was at the bar drinking with Dave Thorpe a little earlier. And he had a kind of argument with a cowpuncher from that XT outfit that came in the other day. The Texan said Dave jogged his elbow or something silly like that. Oh? Well, uh, how mad were they? Mad enough. Oh, what do you mean, Holly? He killed him, Marshal. What? That cowpuncher, he, he killed Dave Thorpe. Well, how do you know? I was there. You were there. Dave and I went outside in the alley just to get a little air, and suddenly this cowboy shot him. He must have been waiting or something. You recognized him? Real plain, Marshal. It was him, all right. Well, how come he let you go? I don't know. He must have got scared or something. But he shot Dave, and then he ran off. I got scared, and I ran, too. She wasn't going to tell you, Matt, till I talked her into it. Afraid that cowboy or some of his friends will get after him. No, nobody will bother you, Holly. I promise you that. Uh, do you know this man's name? They was calling him Fly Hoyt there at the bar, Marshal. Fly Hoyt? I knew an old lady down on the brazes called something like that, Mr. Dillon. Only her last name was Fly. Her first name yeah, was Yeah, yeah, all right, all right, Chester. Holly, 
Are you willing to testify to all this in court? In court? Oh, I'd, I'd be awful scared, Marshal. But you'll do it, huh? Kitty says it's my duty. Good. Now, don't you worry about anything. Chester and I'll ride out to the XT camp in the morning and bring this fly hoid in. There won't be any trouble. And, uh, thanks for coming here, Holly. Sure, Marshal. That's XT camp up ahead, Mr. Dillon. Uh, you been out here, Chester? That's where I rode by it a couple days ago. They gave me a cup of coffee at the wagon. Oh. Uh, it looks like they're expecting us. Mm. By golly, it sure does. I don't like the way all them men's lined up. Maybe I was wrong last night about there not being any trouble. That's the trail boss, that big fellow there. His name's Jim Cavanaugh. You don't know Fly Hoyt, do you? No, sir, I don't. I didn't meet him. Hey, they don't look very friendly, Mr. Dillon. No, they sure don't. Chester, huh? let's leave our horses here and walk up, huh? All right. Jim Cavanaugh. Your friend there also tell you I'm boss of this outfit. Yeah, yeah. I got 20 men here, Marshal, not counting me. So you better climb into your saddles and ride right on back to Dodge. You know what I came for? That gal Holly got to talking last night late. A couple of my boys was there when she did. And you ain't taking Fly Hoyt, Marshal. Ah. You and your men are ready to kill me if I try, is that it? Kansas law don't mean nothing to us Texans, Marshal. <laughs> Does Fly Hoyt admit killing that man last night? Well, I ain't said nothing about it one way or t'other. We don't find it polite to inquire into a man's personal business. Do you find murder polite? Marshal, you get sassy, we'll bury you right where you're standing. Then we'll drive a couple thousand longhorn cattle over your grave and nobody will ever find you. Which one of your men is Fly Hoyts? Reckon you don't hear. I want to talk to him. Which one is he? Don't pay him no mind, Fly. Why, is he too much of a coward to talk? No man calls me a coward. I'm Fly Hoyt, Marshal. You darn fool, Hoyt. I ain't afraid. What was it you want to talk about, Marshal? Well, if it's not inquiring too closely into your personal business, I'd like to know if you admit killing Dave Thorpe last night. I didn't kill him. A girl called Holly Fanshawe says you did. She 
She says she saw you. She's lying. She says you had an argument with Thorpe at the bar earlier. That's true. I remember the girl. Well, where were you when the shooting took place, then? No place that'd do me any good. Now, Fly, that ain't so... Thanks, Jim. But I have to do this my own way. The boys here'd lie for me, Marshal. They'd swear to anything I wanted them to. But the truth is, I was alone when I heard that shot. I'd left the saloon, and I was up the street there all alone. You admit that? I got no alibi. But you say you didn't kill Dave Thorpe. I never killed a man in my life. I don't believe in it. Does Holly Fanshawe have any reason to lie about you? First time I ever saw her was last night, Marshal. But I'm sure curious about her now. Oh? I'm rough in my ways sometimes, Marshal. But I ain't no killer. I ain't no liar. How you gonna prove it? Well, Marshal, I'd ride in to Dodge with you. What for? I'd like to have me a talk with this Holly Fanshawe. Then maybe I can prove it. Yeah, she was worried you and some of your friends might come after her. I'd sooner blind a horse than lay a hand on a woman, Marshal. And that's the truth. Okay, Fly, let's get going. <laughs> Holly B. this time of day, Marshal. Uh, she's probably still in her room, Fly. I don't know where that is. Oh, she's in the same room and house as Miss Kitty. She told me so. Oh, good. I'll show you where it is, Fly. I want to talk to Kitty anyway. Hey, Mr. Dillon, look. Here comes Joe Thorpe. Joe Thorpe? Yeah. Dave's brother. Oh. Good morning, Marshal. Morning, Joe. Didn't take you very long after all, Marshal. Heard the whole story. Now, Holly Fanshawe's quite a talker. Yeah. Well, Fly Hoyt, ain't it? Yeah, I remember seeing you, Hoyt. Do you? I was down the bar ways from you and Dave. He was a good man, Hoyt. I'm looking forward to your hanging. I'm still wearing a gun, mister. Marshal, how come you didn't disarm him? I haven't arrested him, Joe. What? He says he didn't do it. Who cares what he says? The girl saw him. Yeah, I know. Fly's here now to talk to her about that. What do you mean? He wants to know why she said it was him. Well, of course it was him. She saw him. Girl's got no reason to lie about it. Marshal, she witnessed the killing. She's identified the killer. That's good enough for me. Well, it's not for me. Okay, Marshal. Okay, then. You won't enforce the law here. I'll do it. What do you mean by that? My brother had plenty of friends here in Dodge. I'll get them all together. We'll come after him. We'll take on his whole outfit if we have to. You try that and I'll throw you in jail. I mean, when I say you arrest this man, Marshal, there's going to be trouble. I'm not arresting him and I'm ready for your trouble. Well, you're going to get it, all right. That's a mighty hot-headed man, Marshal. Yeah. And he means it about making trouble, too. Now, Chester, mm -hmm. wait for us at the office, will you? Yes, Mr. Dillon. 
It's down the street a ways here, Fly. Let's go. It's Matt, Kitty. Well, this is a surprise. Come on in, Matt. Oh, thank you. I, uh, I'm sorry to come in on you this way, Kitty, but, uh, well, I kind of wanted to talk to you. Sure, Matt. What about? Fly Hoyt just went down the hall to Holly's room. He did? No, it's okay. The landlady told him which one it was. Well, I'm not worried about the landlady. No, Fly's all right, Kitty. He says he didn't do it, and... I can't tell you why, but I believe him. But Holly saw him, Kitty, Matt. tell me about Holly, will you? Do you know her very well? No, not very. She's pretty much herself. Does she have any friends, any particular friends, any uh, men? Nobody she ever mentioned, Matt. Yeah. What was she doing with Dave Thorpe, I wonder? You do? No, you know what I... Matt! Yeah. You stay here, Kitty. No, I'm coming with you. That's her room, Matt. Here. Hey, you stay in the hall. Uh... All right, I'll take that gun, Fly. Is she dead, Matt? Don't look at her, Kitty. Oh, Matt. What's the matter with you, Fly? Nobody shot you. I got hit, Marshal. As soon as I opened the door, somebody hit me. Knock me out for a minute. Lying won't help you this time, mister. I ain't lying. I come to and I seen her laying there. And then you come in. Who hit you? Holly? No. No, Marshal. Somebody was hiding behind the door. I heard him move, but I never even seen him. There's no closet in this room. Where's he hiding now? On the wall? Oh, the window's open. Maybe somebody was here. Well, he's gone now. My gun, Marshal. Did he use that? That's been fired. Smart. He killed her with it and then put it back in my holster. Who did? I don't believe a word you're saying. You're Miss Kitty, ain't you? I, I seen you last night. We're not talking about me. I wouldn't shoot a woman, Miss Kitty. I wouldn't shoot a man either unless I had to. Somebody's sure trying his best to get me hung. Well, I don't know. Kitty, keep everybody out of here, will you? Yeah. I'll send Chester and a couple of men for Holly. Fly, you stay with me. You arresting me? Here's your gun, Fly. Thank you, Marshal. <laughs> This is my office here, Fly. Let's see if Chester's still around. I'll help him if you want, Marshal. Now he can get somebody else. Well, what are you doing here, Joe? Waiting for you. I want to talk to you, Marshal. Okay. Chester, Mm -hmm. Ollie Fanshawe's been killed. 
Over in her room. Killed? How'd she get killed? She was shot. Go get Doc, will you? And somebody to help you. Yes, sir. Wait a minute. What What happened, Marshal? Somebody slugged Fly when he went into her room. Then he used his gun to shoot her. Who says he did? Fly. You listen to him like he was your father. What was it you wanted to see me about, Thorpe? Well, I was going to tell you I changed my mind about all I was saying out there in the street a while ago. But now, no, sir. You know, maybe I ought to lock you up right now. You can't lock me up. I didn't have nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with what? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I ain't done nothing. You can't lock a man up for talking. Ah, that's not what you meant. Would you arrest Fly, Marshal? He's killed two people now. Chester? Yes, sir. How long has Joe been here? I... He come in just for you did, Mr. What are you Young? talking about? What difference it made? I had a talk with Kitty, Joe. She told me about you and Holly. What? Holly didn't keep secrets very well. She told Kitty how you made her lie about who killed Dave and how you set it up for her to get him into the alley. Me? Fly didn't Why? get hit fast enough in Holly's room a while ago, Joe. He saw who did it. No. Tell him who it was, Fly. Now go on, tell him. What? Why, it was him, Joe Thorpe. Oh, what are you You saying? might as well admit it. What were you doing, stealing money out of you and your brother's hide business? Well, you... you ain't gonna put me in jail. I don't care if I did kill him. Just... No, you don't. You okay, Chester? Yes, sir. I held his arm so as he couldn't get his gun up. It went off right in the floor there. Well, you did fine. He might have killed somebody else otherwise. Marshal? What? I don't understand this. I didn't see him in Holly's room. I said I did just because I figured you wanted me to. Well, I did want you to, Fly. Did Holly really tell Kitty about how Joe killed his brother, no? No. Holly didn't talk to anybody about that. That or the fact that she was in thick with Joe. Well, how'd you know, then? I didn't. When he said he didn't have anything to do with it, I got an idea and decided to chance bluffing him. If he hadn't panicked, he probably would have been okay. Hmm. You just made it all up, huh? Yeah, but I made it up right. That's what happened. Mighty poor man who'll shoot his own brother, ain't it? His own brother and a woman. He pretty near got by with it, Marshal. Yeah, but when he picked you to blame it on, he picked the wrong man, Fly. You know, there are a lot of men I don't suppose I'd have believed. But that was his big mistake. I believed you. Well, I swear. Marshal, wait till I get home and tell him about a Kansas lawman I met. Nobody will ever believe me again. Gunsmoke, 
transcribed under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Vic Perrin, Lawrence Dobkin, Jack Crucian, Jill Jarman, and James Nusser. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Hear Gunsmoke every Saturday, this same time, this same station. Hear the great new Perry Como radio show every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, also on CBS Radio. This is the CBS Radio Network. From October 30th, 1954, that was Gunsmoke, and the name of that episode was The Patsy, and uh, had one of those memorable John Meston characters, Fly Hoyt. (laughs) I just love that name. I can see you kids have gotten tired out here. I appreciate you sticking with me for the last two hours, but you just run on upstairs now, get in your jammies and climb into bed, and we'll be up in a minute to tuck you in. And we ask that you spread the word. Let everybody know, let your friends know that uh, you have found this great source of old-time radio shows in crystal clear sound. And uh, we don't just play the shows, we talk about them. I have uh, often said on this show that I am not a radio historian, but I am an old-time radio fan. And I listen to them to be entertained, not to uh, show you how much I know. Spread the word, would you? All right, everybody, this is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met me. (laughs) 